Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. Brad, my man, how's everything going? Things are going pretty good today. Had a nice session at the gym, took the dog on a walk, had my smoothie. Now I'm here. All right. It, it seems like that's the, uh, the repeat, the morning repeats, you know. That's so. the routine, man. Got to get the got to get the body going before the mind gets going. Love it. So, if you want to get your mind going, you know the best best way to do that. I don't. What is it? Join our Patreon community. Oh yeah, that is a great way to get the mind going. One of the Why? best out there. Yeah. Well, it's great because every month you get to be a part of our book club and discussions where we have some of uh, the best-selling authors and great thinkers. Like last month, we had Dan Pink come on and, and tell us about his new book on regrets and just have a wonderful discussion. So really stimulating discussions. You also get a quarterly mastermind group where Brad and I get on and answer your questions and just go deep on on a topic. And you also get all sorts of other goodies. So if you want to enhance your thinking, Patreon group is a great way to do it. And you can sign up by going to patreon.com slash the growth equation. And it's a great uh, it's a great arbitrage opportunity too, because the real cost of joining our Patreon community has gone way down over the past couple months. So now thanks to inflation, Steve's iced shaken oat milk espresso is like six dollars and 25 cents at starbucks but patreon starts at five dollars so now's the time get in before we we do our own cost of living price adjustment that's right all right so today we're gonna talk about managing uncertainty and i think this is a it's always a timely and pertinent, you know, topic. But I think as we've gone through COVID, which brought uncertainty, as the world looks over at Europe and sees what's going on, there's uncertainty. As you just mentioned, inflation going up, markets going all over the place. We're kind of at this time period where it's like, okay, What's what's going to happen next? What's the normal look like after this? And that could be as a world global uncertainty or it could be, you know, what you're going through in your life in terms of personal uncertainty. So, how do we manage that? And I guess to set the stage, I'll I'll give some of the the science and psychology. And that we have this deep need for like control and making sense of things. And a large part of that is because our, our brain kind of works predictively, right? And if it can predict what's to come, it knows how to handle that challenge or, or what to do, right? We know that something's going to be difficult or what your morning routine is and all that good stuff. When we have higher levels on, of uncertainty, we're not able to predict which means the brain isn't able to prepare as well. It's when something throws you off on your morning routine and you're not able to go out and get that run or take your dog for a walk or go lift, all of a sudden, you know, you feel that stress and anxiety. 
and you get those those hormones that cortisol or maybe a little bit of adrenaline in there and all of a sudden you're you're kind of on edge and that's because uncertainty is is tied increasingly to uh to anxiety and higher levels of cortisol and all that stuff so high uncertainty means we've got to figure out how to manage that stress response and uh figure out how to make the best decisions well under kind of a little bit of stress anxiety and pressure yeah i think the other thing that we can talk through too is it's not the uncertainty that necessarily causes the rise in cortisol and subsequent increase in stress, it is the resisting uncertainty that causes the increase in cortisol and stress. So uncertainty is just uncertainty. It's the resistance. And to your point about the brain being somewhat of a prediction machine, the brain's natural tendency is to immediately resist uncertainty to go a little bit haywire when things don't match its expectations, but you can also train the brain to be able to relax into uncertainty a bit more, um, which is another viable strategy. So I think it's twofold. I think it's, if you're under stress, you've still got to be able to make decisions and go live your life. And then how do you dampen the stress by, uh, getting more comfortable being uncomfortable and getting more comfortable with uncertainty? That's what all the major wisdom traditions are basically built upon is that that thesis that the resistance is where the suffering lies. And if we can open up to uncertainty, there's a lot less suffering. Yeah, you're 100 percent spot on. And the easy way I like to conceptualize this is, is if you tell yourself to not think about something or not worry, what happens? You worry. So resisting the thing is often what causes the, as you pointed out, the stress and certainty that, that comes along with the uncertainty. Okay. So let's break it down, right? Let's talk about three things. I'm just going to pull this out of, uh, you know, where thing number one is <laughs> pull this out of, you know, where I meant left field, although that came out wrong, I guess you probably thought other places, but, uh, thing number one, I think we should talk about is, um, Intuition and trusting your gut versus trying to make a rational decision. Thing number two, I think that we should talk about is how to sleep and just take care of your body amidst uncertainty. And then thing number three, we should talk about, I think, is how, in my opinion, there's no such thing as a bad decision. So right. where should we start? Um. Let's start with thing number two, sleep and take care of your body, because that's kind of the foundation that allows you to handle these things. Yeah. All right. So here's what I'll offer there. Having a couple of things for self-care that are very predictable and that are also good for you serves two purposes. The first is, well, they're good for you, right? Like movement, meditation, listening to music, meeting up with friends for lunch, whatever it is, all those things maybe. The second is that they're very predictable. So the higher the uncertainty is in the world around you, the more that you're going to crave these things that are certain and that do feel predictable. It's like I often talk to coaching clients about when the world feels big and overwhelming and complex it makes a lot of sense to go small and simple. The wonderful meditation teacher, John Kabat-Zinn, calls this voluntary simplicity. 
So if you're navigating uncertainty, having these things that are bedrocks of a routine that are healthy for you provide not only the health benefits, but again, also the predictability. I remember our dear friend and mentor, Mike Joyner, during the part of COVID where it was just gruesome and no one knew what was going on and there was just so much illness and suffering and death everywhere. Mike Joyner told me that the most important thing is he's just continuing to lift weights every day. And this wasn't burying his head in the sand. Mike Joyner's a physician. He was seeing this shit on the front lines. But what he was saying is like, it's the one thing that I can't control. And when I go in my gym, I'm in my gym with the weights and the other stuff melts away, even if only for a half an hour. And that's really valuable. So I think having these rituals that are healthy for us goes such a long way. The last thing I'll say is um, Peter Sterling, the guy that came up with allostasis, which is kind of the new model to think about stress and adaptation. Uh, there's a whole section in that book on what he calls sacred practices, which have been around forever. And they're these rites of ritual and routine that clearly serve a purpose because otherwise our brains wouldn't have evolved to still accommodate them. So there's no real evolutionary advantage to listening to music or to lighting candles or to sitting around the fire um, singing and dancing, right? It doesn't help you live longer like immediately. But the secondary effect is it bonds us to our community, to our place, and it offers a sense of control, which then does help us in the long term. So have some kind of practice, uh, and ideally one that is also good for your, your mind and body. Yeah. So two things that I'd offer on top of that, that are kind of extensions of that, is rituals. You can really see this and understand how they help if you watch sports. Because watch, watch a baseball player you know, before he steps into the batter's box, right? They swing the bat around a certain times. You know, you have examples where players like take on and off their glove at the right amount, etc. And it's very ritualistic. Why? Because it gives them a sense of control and normalcy in an activity where they're about to have, you know, a 95 mile per hour ball thrown like very close to them and they have a fraction of a second to decide whether to swing or not right that control is important you see the same thing in tennis and other sports like that whenever the thing i tell clients that i work with is whenever the world feels uncertain or your place in it or your place in whatever your endeavor it is find the small things that can give you a sense of control because if we have a small if we can you know have control over the small things, then that kind of dampens down that uncertainty kind of stress response. I'm also reminded of the story that Holocaust survivor and uh, psychologist Victor Frankel told in one of his books, which was when he entered um, one of the concentration camps, a older gentleman told him, the key was to to survive was to shave every day. And that, that advice is twofold. Shave every day so you look a little more presentable and they won't pick on you, et cetera, because you look downtrodden. But it also, I think, gives this like sense of control in a very small thing in a world where you have literally no other control. So <laughs> that's the extreme, but... 
taking that advice into your own life is is very important. That's why, you know, at the top of this podcast, we joke about Brad's morning routine and rituals and all that stuff. What I found as well is like whenever, you know, my wife and I maybe are going through something difficult in, in terms of life or life is throwing something hard at us. We always we increase the frequency that we go on like evening walks with the dog. Why? It gives us something to like control, de-stress, do together, unwind, etc. To kind of be that calm as we navigate the storm of of life. So you're really kind of grasping onto something, and I'll use the word grounding yourself with something that like gives gives like some control stability in life while the rest of it, it might seem a little chaotic. Yes. Only thing to add is uh, a lot of people often feel a little bit guilty when they do things like this. How, how could I take the time to do this for myself when there's so many terrible things happening in the world? Or even more acutely, how could I take the time to do this for myself when there's terrible things happening at my company or in my family or even at home? And um, I think that that guilt is a normal thing to feel, but I think that you kind of have to let it be there and take it along for the ride. Because if you can't have a solid foundation, then you're not going to be able to do good for any of the people or things that you care about. Uh, you would just burn out, suffer from moral fatigue, compassion fatigue, all of those things. And then particularly with global issues, you know, sitting on New York Times or WallStreetJournal.com or sitting in front of the TV watching the news is not actually doing anything to help the situation at all. And we fake ourselves out and we tell ourselves it is, but it's not. Um, so you'd be much better to take care of yourself and um, in, in, in those times. Yeah, I'm, re- I'm reminded of the research. I think I, I posted this either on Twitter or in our newsletter a couple weeks back that when the Boston Marathon bombing, you know, yeah. came around is there was a direct correlation between stress and the a- number of hours of TV coverage you watched. So much so that if you watched, I think it was above five or six hours per day of coverage of it, you felt higher levels of stress than those who were in Boston directly impacted, like either were there, had friends or family members who were there and experienced it. So again, sitting there watching it, scrolling, et cetera, can amplify things because again, your, your brain says, hey, I'm watching this all the time. This must be really important and the world must be really stressful. So I'm going to make you stressful, self-fulfilling. And I had this conversation the other day with a coaching client, um, particularly as it relates to the, the tragedy with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, that there's this feeling that if you're not in the know and you're not following it, then perhaps you ought to be. But when you peel back the onion and reflect on that, it doesn't really make much sense. So here in the West, you could check in once a day and know everything that you need to know, which is, hey, am I at risk? Is there going to be a nuclear war? Hopefully not. And B, make a decision or have some kind of emotion, perhaps trigger you to donate money to charity or to take an action that's actually going to help. But the podcasts analyzing the situation, all of that stuff, I hate to say it because it sounds bad, 
but I'm going to call a spade a spade. It's just entertainment. So if you're intellectually super interested in war and strategy and geopolitics, then sure. But if that stuff's stressing you out, then you don't need to tune in to all that stuff because it doesn't do anything to actually change your actions and behaviors. And the other thing that I'll say is that everyone's been wrong about everything so far. So listening to these experts speculate on different scenarios, it's kind of moot because in this particular instance, no one thought that Russia was going to invade Ukraine. So personally, a lot of the podcasts that I normally listen to, Steve knows I I don't actually listen to many podcasts at all. So this says a lot because the only two podcasts I really listen to regularly is the Ezra Klein Show and Derek Thompson's podcast. And they're fascinating discussions with these strategists and geopolitical thinkers, but I haven't listened in weeks because it's not going to change what I do. And all these people are proposing theories for something that is completely unknown. Um, So it's kind of like intellectual masturbation in a way for me. Now, if you're a general, if you live on the border of Russia or Ukraine, um, if you are running a global corporation and have to make decisions, then yes, for sure. But if you're just a somewhat smart, public educated dude like me that uh, that gets stressed out and the cost of the stress is greater than the intellectual stimulus from that. And I can get my intellectual stimulus elsewhere. So um, that's a conversation I've had with a handful of coaching clients now. And it always starts with this. Well, I feel bad because I'm not paying attention. Well, why? Well, because I should. Well, why should you? Well, maybe, maybe what you ought to do is go talk to your significant other and see how much money you can give to UNICEF or some charity, because that's actually a lot more valuable than listening to the Ezra Klein show talk about the crisis. Yeah, 100%. It's almost like the listening, the scrolling, et cetera, become the coping mechanism for the feeling. Yes. And it's like an addiction to excitement and being in the yeah. know. So... <laughs> Which we had, like, let's, let's be honest. I remember that night that fucking Russian soldiers were shelling a nuclear plant. You and I were like glued to our screens watching. And the next day I felt hung over. Yeah, 100%. And And that's not good because that's gawking. It's literally like entertainment. I I, like, it's not a movie. These are real people's lives. But the whole world was hooked onto that video. And you know who wins? The social media companies that broadcasted streaming. Yeah, but in some ways it's like... Yes, and it also helps Ukraine to have that coverage. So it's a weird, you know, thing where it's like, yes, individually, but like, I'm glad that Ukrainian president is like a former comedian entertainer and has this like one, like genuine, seemingly genuine, wonderful way to communicate that captures people and causes some of that because that's the only reason that they're getting weapons and all that stuff. So Yes, that's a really good point. And the outrage, and I guess there the global outrage does make a difference because if you're the head of state in some of these ally countries and you see that everyone's outraged, then it perhaps pushes you into action. So it's interesting. It's like a, it's a counterfactual, but if everyone took our advice in the whole Western world and only checked in for 10 to 15 minutes a day, do you think that that would harm Ukraine? Yeah. So then it's not all it's nuanced. It's not all good or bad. Maybe you should check in for hours a day and listen to all the podcasts. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that maybe the answer, though, is like. Be like, 
I think the answer is like I'm not sure if like listening for hours a day helps, but like making it known to politicians, people, etc., or like voicing it on on socials. But then that is an action, right? That's your ten minutes, and then you call your two senators, um, so on and so forth. Right. Exactly. So it's like that pressure like gets applied so that they do something. Yeah, it's almost like thinking of it happening 30 years ago before social media. And what changes? And is there really any change or is it just outrage that that is and it feels like there's more pressure because you know, would Ukraine still be getting these weapons from western countries? Probably, but western countries still haven't intervened for a whole bunch of complex reasons that are above my pay grade. Uh, so it is interesting to think like, would it actually change things or no? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I would, and this is a nice tangent, but I would say it it would probably change the, um, rapidness and level of weaponry that's being sent over. That's being sent over. Yeah. But now we're doing exactly what we said not to do, which is spitballing about something that is completely unknown and uncertain. So it's hygiene, it's figure out, I mean, hopefully at the very least, we talk through the pros and cons, and it's just making a deliberate decision, which leads to the third thing, which is there's no such thing as a bad decision. And then we'll come to the first thing. Uh, This is really simple. I talked about it with a neighbor the other day. She told me it was mind-blowing for her. I'm like, I didn't think it was that mind-blowing, but maybe for some it is, so I'll share it here. We stress so much about making decisions under uncertainty that we're going to make the wrong decision. I think the framework of right or wrong decision is dumb. The only wrong decision is one that you weren't thoughtful about and that you weren't honest about and that you didn't communicate to those that it impacts. But there is no such thing as a wrong decision. It is, you know, this is like philosophy of probability and math, but all decisions are probabilistic. Nothing is certain. Anytime you make a decision, you might be wrong. So your job is just to go through a process that allows you to have the best chance in the moment of making the best decision and then update your views as you go. And then there's no more writer decision. There's just living and like living thoughtfully. So that's that. Yeah. I mean, I think you're spot on the way I talk about this and think about this is um, it's, it's no different than we, when we talk about, you know, what's the process mean in terms of like athletics or performance or whatever have you same thing in decision making like define what your process for making decision is follow those steps and if you follow those steps do your due diligence then like you're left with a decision made and there is no like good or bad because that's judged like much later after the fact you can't decide that so you know follow the process and and Feel good about like doing the best you can in that moment. Yeah, I think that that's it. And um, and then hopefully that helps eliminate some of the stress and pressure about being right or wrong when there's unknowns. And the other thing that I'd add in here is that, you know, no such thing as bad decision. What often helps here is having perspective. Mm-hmm. So zooming out thinking about past decisions that you thought were good or bad and then like looking at how they actually turned turned out looking at you know what you didn't know back then and what you know now and just like coming to the reality that 
there's we're it, like there's no way to make the perfect decision so just move from trying to be perfect to good enough based on the information you have yep love it all right and then the the first thing that we talked about was uh this notion of like working with uncertainty versus resisting it right yeah in intuition rational thinking yeah yeah so this is a tough one uh because a how do you decide whether to resist versus accept and then b how do you decide whether to rely on your intuition versus your rational thinking so i'll I'll take the first stab here i think a number one um with intuition is the best thing you can do is learn how to listen to your body and learn what is communicating so the example i'll give of course is from sports is new runners for example have no idea the difference between pain or injury why because they don't know the signals that their body's sending. They they feel a little ache and they're like, oh my gosh, I must have like a stress fracture or sprained this or pulled this. And it's like, no, that's that's just a normal ache or pain. Like it'll go away. Or like that's just your body adjusting and getting used to it. Like you'll be fine in a couple of days. Don't sweat it. The expert, the like, or I should say the the runner who's been doing it a, a long enough time like can distinguish those internal feelings. So when it comes down to intuition, I often think of, am I the novice runner or am I the expert who's taken time to like understand, listen, like experience, go through things so that I can trust what my intuition is telling me and trust that I'm able to uh, read those feelings or internal signals. And just like in running or sport, how do we get better at reading those internal signals feelings and signals you spend time like experiencing and then sitting with them not ignoring them not like brushing them away but like sitting with them so again the kind of basic heuristic i use is where am i on that at that that spectrum am i the person who in this specific instance you know or in this specific like decision making like framework or or a period, am I the novice or am I the, the the expert who's been around the block in terms of feeling all sorts of sensations, pain, fatigue, et cetera? Yeah, I think that that's a really good way to think about it. And um, it's like, yeah, and it's so hard to do, though, right? <laughs> Especially in the moment. <laughs> I, I mean, it's that it's super hard. It's super hard to do. But that's why, you know, we talked a little bit about perspective is whenever I'm in a difficult dis- decision, I like step back mm-hmm. or try to step back. You know, it's the old, what would your friend tell yeah, you? Yeah, self, like, self-distancing, go on a hike in nature. Yep. Anything to create some space. And if, if you create that space, often you can have that honest conversation where it's like, oh, like I've been through similar situations like this before, like my body probably knows or my brain probably knows my intuition is probably, you know, good enough here. Or you step back and, you know, I've, we've been in situations and and had these conversations of like, 
yeah, like I've been in maybe something tangentially related, but I've never, never had to go through something quite like this. So my intuition might not be honed here. Like maybe it's better finding someone else. Phone a friend. Exactly. Yeah. Talk to. That's what I do. I, if, if I, if, if it's very clear that there's pattern recognition that could help make the decision, but I don't feel comfortable in my own pattern recognition, then I try to find someone who is. If it seems like pattern recognition can't help, then it's just rely on intellect and logic. And if it's something that I've been doing for a very long time and my gut has a, a, a pull, then I tend to follow that gut intuition. And I actually think it's funny. I actually think the importance of these things is in the exact order that we talked about them. So I think this is the least important part of dealing in, with uncertainty uh, because, again, it's uncertain. So like, you, you know, even the law of large numbers, like good intuition might be right 55% of the time and wrong 45%. And over the course of a lifetime, that's great. That's a win. So you're still going to be wrong a lot. And that's the nature of uncertainty. That's why it's so important to not stress so much about good versus bad decision, but just stick to a process and if others are involved, make sure that you're honest and you communicate clearly, and at least be honest and communicate clearly to yourself. And then the first and most important thing is, well, what can you control when everything feels crazy and uncertain? And make sure that you have that bedrock so you don't spiral into total chaos. Um, because if you if you think about this in psychological terms, too much rigidity in fighting against uncertainty leads to anxiety and eventually depression because you realize you can't win and then that's a quick path to despair and nihilism and everything is meaninglessness. Too much acceptance of uncertainty and not enough agency is psychosis where like there's no self. Everything is just like happening all the time. And there's a huge ground in between those two extremes that we're trying to occupy here is healthy functioning adults. And it's about how do you hold that ground? So um, that that's, I think, ultimately the name of the game here. So, man, we were a little bit all over the place today. We were uncertain about what we were going to cover in today's podcast. So we decided on uncertainty. But um, I actually think hopefully there's some value in here for listeners, quite a bit of value, because certainly for myself, there has been just this framework of have your routine that makes you feel comfortable. If it's the base that's going to keep your mind and body healthy and sharp as possible, don't judge a good or bad decision. Because even if you're really good at making decisions over the course of your life, you're going to make a lot of wrong ones or so-called wrong ones. So instead, it's just like, was it the right process? And did I update when the evidence shifted? And then number three, last but not least, at the margin, when you're in that moment, try to figure out, hey, do I have the pattern recognition or not? And if not, how do you create some space to evaluate things? And if you can't, then phone a friend. Yeah, 100%. And the one thing I want to put a pin in that you just talked about before wrapping up is the the updating after the decision, which is where so many people get it get it wrong is like as you said, it's there's no such thing as bad decisions, but there are like not adapting to the decision, which means not like updating your beliefs or like updating based on the evidence after you've made it. Like the more you can uh, intake and learn from whatever you did, the better your intuition is going to be next time, the better your pattern recognition is going to be next time. So if you're like 
quote unquote wrong or didn't go the way you, that you thought to after a, a decision that you had to make, that's fine. Just update and learn from it. And that's what the best athletes, the best performers, et cetera, do. The ones who don't update often don't because like it hurts their ego. And then they go on and make the same poor decision because they haven't updated their prediction machine. Yep. That's it. That's the name of the game. All right. So before we sign off here, I want to uh, invite listeners to send us some suggestions on on what you would like to cover, because we're going to do an episode coming up here in the future. Essentially, you know, ask me anything and we're going to cover your questions and try and give you the hopefully insight and and clear, rational uh thinking or dealing or wrestling with some difficult topics that you want us to cover. So feel free to send us an email or drop us a note. You can contact us on thegrowtheq.com. Yep. So head over there, www.thegrowtheq.com and shoot us a note with uh, some questions for the Ask Me Anything topics that you want to hear us discuss. And we will catch you next week. Depending on the rate of questions we receive, we'll either do that next week uh, or we'll put a week in between. So again, that's www.thegrowtheq.com. Head over to the contact button and shoot us a note and uh, we'll address your questions and topics uh, really soon. So with that, everybody stay well. Do your best to hang in there in these uncertain times and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter, at bstalberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.